Our text this morning is Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 44. That's the last section of this chapter. As our Lord now begins His ministry in earnest, He has been commissioned, as it were, through His baptism. He has begun preaching in the synagogues, and we saw last week the rejection of His message by His hometown. And now this week we come upon the power and authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord has complete authority over you, over me, and over all of the universe. Luke chapter 4. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. They were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day... He departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that You would reach us by Your Word. Teach us, O Lord, but do not end there. Convict us of our sin. 
Comfort us with the gospel. Change us by the power of your word and spirit. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we continue to see the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ unfold. The one who was announced to come. The baby in the manger. The young boy in the temple. The hometown prophet who had taught in his hometown synagogue and who was baptized by John the Baptist is now in earnest going about the ministry that the Lord has given to him. He's going about preaching, teaching, doing miracles in the power of the Lord. This is a good passage to remind us that Jesus has authority. You know what authority is, don't you? It means that someone's in charge. It means that someone is responsible, that someone has authority over others. We don't like authority much nowadays. We don't like anyone telling us what to do, where to sit, what to buy, what to say. We pride ourselves on our independence. But you see, the Bible links the authority of Jesus Christ with His ability to help, to comfort, to come alongside us, to heal us, to bring us to God. Without the authority that He has, Jesus would be powerless to help and to save. You cannot have His salvation and reject His authority. The two come together in the person and work of Jesus. And so this morning we will see Jesus' authority in three ways. First, we will see His authority over evil. Then we will see His authority over sickness. And then finally, we will see His authority over all. Jesus' authority over evil, sickness, and all. Let's begin then at verse 31 where Jesus has left His hometown. And He is now in Capernaum. And He goes into the synagogue there on the Sabbath and He begins to teach and to preach. And something happens that we don't expect to happen in church we're reminded that the world has real evil. There is real evil in the world today. Real evil out there and real evil, beloved, in here. Evil is real and tangible. It is not a figment of our imagination. You know, it has been famously said that one of the things that the devil desires most is to convince you so that you will think he does not exist. Because then he has a free reign. And if we think about it, isn't that the cause of our day? It has a fancy philosophical name. It's called materialism. But you can understand it plain and simple. It is the belief that outside of things that we can see, touch, 
taste and smell, nothing exists. There is no other realm. There are not demons or angels. There is no God. There is not even something as abstract as the mind. It is all chemicals and neurons and atoms and wood and stone. This is what the world is made of. This is a great problem in our world today, but the challenge I think that we have as we come to a text like this is do we think about materialists as being only out there? Examine your own life this morning. You may not profess to be a materialist. You may shout loudly from the rooftops that you believe in God, in angels and demons, in another realm, in the eternality of the spirits. But the question that comes is, do you live like it? Or do you act like there's no hope unless something that you can see or touch or smell or taste can help you? You see, it is a great temptation for us to spend our lives looking down, never looking up and contemplating the things of God and of Christ. This is a challenge that comes. And Satan is at work in our day today trying to convince us of this. There's another kind of a denial of evil. It is this Pollyanna-ish insistence that the world is constantly getting better. I have a very specific term that I use for this. You may borrow it. I call it Star Trek theology. Do you notice or remember how on Star Trek they would, with a wave of a hand and a sentence, talk about how, oh, we've conquered all mental illness. Oh, don't you remember when we conquered hunger? Oh, don't you remember when we got past this and that? As if we're all we need to do is move far enough, get the right technology, and all of our problems will go away, as if some point in the future will be a time in which husbands will never ignore their wives. Wives will never fight with their husbands. Children will always obey because somewhere off there we will reach the point of betterment, of perfection. But you see, that's not the way the world is. It's not the way it was when our first father sinned. It's not the way the world will be until Jesus comes back. Evil in the world is real. There's another way that we deny evil. It's in trying to determine an illness for every form of sin. Denying that sin and guilt exist and instead focusing on a cure as if somehow, through science, we can cure what has ailed man since the fall. Pride and sin. The world has real evil even if we try and deny it. So oftentimes what we try to do is to control it. We see this in the way often that evil is presented in fiction. There is evil, but there are rules to the evil. Evil can only do certain things at certain times, in certain ways. There are certain safe havens that we can find from evil. There are certain 
prophecies or people that can do things about evil. We put boundaries around it. And we feel that we're safe if we can control evil. But sadly, this is not limited to fiction. Much of what claims to be the Christian church today does the same thing. It's what we call name-it-and-claim-it theology. We simply say that we will name and claim sins, and they will go away magically. We will name and claim prosperity, and it will come magically. But that's not how the world works, does it? It's not my experience. I wonder if it's yours. It's not the experience of saints down through the ages who have been persecuted and killed for their faith. Could you imagine the Apostle Paul naming and claiming an iron neck so that his beheading wouldn't happen? Could you imagine Augustine naming and claiming peace and prosperity and the barbarians melt away? No. Evil is real in the world. It has real power. And we see this here in the synagogue. There is a man who is afflicted and is under the power of evil. He is in control of a demon. And no one can do anything about it. He's sitting in church and presumably he has been sitting in church week after week for some time. He has been afflicted. Presumably his wife and his family are afflicted as well. They are sad for what he has gone under. He's not a normal, ordinary man. We see this throughout the Gospels. When a demon gets control of someone, they do uncontrollable, horrible things. There's no hero riding to the rescue. The other thing that is striking to us is that this demon is not in the red light district, not in dens of iniquity, Not off somewhere in secular Rome. No, this demon is sitting in the pew. Trying to do as much harm and damage as he can among the people of God. There are no safe places, Luke tells us. Now, this should strike us to the core, 21st century parents. One of the applications of what Luke is telling you is, is you cannot make the world a safe place for your children. You could bring them to church where Jesus is in person and evil will still be there. You cannot wall them off from the world. Evil is real. We must be aware of the battle that is before us. But the great blessing is, is that Jesus has real power to face this real evil. Jesus is not afraid. I wonder what would happen if right now, as I am preaching, someone in a loud demonic cackle started to heckle and scream and yell. If I were sitting out there with you, I would probably move down a seat if there was one. I'd probably start studying the words to Amazing Grace in my hymnal. You could just imagine what that must have been like there in the synagogue, especially if it had happened before. 
They know trouble is a brewing. What will they do? But you see, Jesus doesn't look away. Jesus is not afraid. Jesus confronts the evil head on. He says to the evil, get out of here. You don't belong. I'm in charge. I have authority. You see, there is a a confrontation that happens. And for those of us who are uncomfortable with confrontations, we have to understand that this is what evil uses to get its will done. It knows that it can push and shove and pull and we go to the path of least resistance. The demon says, Who do you think you are, Jesus? Do you think you can stop us? The devil even tries a little bit of name it and claim it himself. He says, I know who you are. I'm going to say your name and try and get power over you, the Holy One of God. You see, this is a real challenge to us. It happens to us as young people, doesn't it? When our friends confront us wanting us to do certain things, we don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want to seem uncool. We don't want to speak out of turn. So we just sort of go along saying to ourselves, we won't go all the way. It happens to us as adults too, doesn't it? When we are confronted with temptation and sin, and we know how hard it is to root out the sin out of our lives, and we don't want that kind of confrontation. We don't want that kind of challenge. And so instead, we simply look down and hope that we could be safe. But you see, Jesus knows the reality of the world. You see, the devil wants you to think that he doesn't exist, but if you do think he exists, he swings to the opposite extreme, and he wants you to think that he is all-powerful and can never be defeated. And Jesus shows us that that is a lie. Jesus brings the Word of God to bear on this demon. He rebukes him. He rebukes him for usurping power. He says, who do you think you are, demon? Do you think you have authority over me? Do you think you have authority over my children? No. He rebukes even the attack on the man himself. Who do you think you are tormenting this man? Get out. Be quiet. And get out, he says. As Luther would say, and we would sing, one little word fells him. Now, you may not be sitting here today possessed by a demon. You may not be ready to tear your clothes and roll around on the ground and and shout. But you do have evil in your life, don't you? You have evil that presses upon you, that wants to oppress you, that makes you guilty, that tells you you have no worth, that tells you you have no hope. And you see, Jesus is here, not just from the pages of Scripture, but in the reality of the universe, saying to the demonic, saying to the sinful, saying to the evil that oppresses you, get out and be quiet. This one is mine. There is hope. Not because you can get to the other side. 
but because Jesus has authority and power. Not just in Bible times, not just on the page, but in your life, in your family today. Jesus defeats the evil. The man is saved. And Luke even tells us it seems so unbelievable. He's unharmed. It's a testimony to the power of God's Word. Jesus has authority over evil, but He also has authority over sickness as well. Jesus leaves the synagogue and He then goes to Simon's house. Simon, of course, is Simon Peter, one of the disciples. And He begins now to show another level of authority. Authority over something that is all too real for us. That is sickness, pain, and death. And there's a reality to this that we cannot deny, can we? Almost every one of us today know it very intimately. Right now, my shoulder hurts. Your back probably hurts. You're having trouble staying awake. Your stomach is grumbling. Your eyes don't see like they used to. Your your ears don't work like they used to. This is sort of the opposite. If we are tempted to not think that evil exists, we absolutely know that sickness and pain and death exist. This is almost too real for something to be done about. And we're in need all the time, aren't we? Do you see what happens? Jesus goes to the synagogue, He casts out a demon, and He does not get a 15-minute coffee break. He goes from synagogue to lunch, and there's work at lunch. Not only does He not get a day off, He doesn't get a lunch off. He goes in to this home, and He sees that we're in need all the time. Now, you know what this is like, don't you? Any parent of a baby, knows exactly what this is like. There's no break, right? As soon as the child begins to crawl, you are in trouble. It used to be you could put the child down and maybe you could get a small break as you walked away before the child cried. But once they start being mobile, they get into things. There's no break from anything. And don't tell me sleep is a break. Because they wake up in the middle of the night. And then the irony is this then occurs to us later in life as we have aging parents. We have to care for them on a daily basis and there's no break from that either. This is the reality of the world, isn't it? It's it's actually natural that we are weak and in need of help. No one is surprised by sickness. No one looks at verse 38 and says, Wow! I can't believe the Bible says somebody had a high fever. No, someone says, yeah, I had a fever last year. Oh, I've known people that have died of high fevers. Oh, I I understand that completely, right? It's very natural. It's part of everyday life, but at the same time, it's critical, isn't it? Luke, our historian, is also, you will recall, a doctor. And he uses a technical phrase here. This is not just, oh, She's a little bit warm. No. This is the kind of fever where you get the thermometer out and you watch it closely. And if it reaches a certain point, you know you have to run to the emergency room. And you do things like run a cool bath 
and put towels on the person to hope the fever will come down and break before something very bad happens. No one is immune to this kind of sickness, right? This is Peter's mother-in-law. If anybody has an in with Jesus and with God, it's Peter. But sickness comes in his family too. And there is a danger that comes from our weakness. It's a danger that comes that prevents ordinary and important life from happening. And the people around understand the danger and they know where to turn. They look in verse 38 and they appeal to Jesus on her behalf. They say, Jesus, we've heard you speak like no other man speaks. We've seen you do things no other man does. Will you help us? We need your help now. We can't wait. It's got to happen. I wonder whether they were tempted to say, well, don't know, don't bother Jesus with this. Just just run the cool water a little longer. Oh, 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 my my great aunt has a homeopathic cure. Let's let's try that before we bother Jesus. Sounds silly, doesn't it? Jesus is right there. Just get healed. Why are you putting stinky stuff on her face to hope it goes down? Why are you running more cold water? And yet, isn't that how we look at life? Our marriage is in trouble. Well, we could just read one more book. Oh, we could just talk to one more person. I I can do that before I really make this a matter for concerted prayer. I, I don't want to bother Jesus with my problems. He's busy. He's saving people and building the church and He's the King of the universe. Let me let me try and handle this first. You see, that's our temptation, isn't it? But Jesus is the one who has authority over all of life and over sickness especially. And there is a reality to the compassion of Jesus that is a great comfort for us. Jesus is eager to help. He doesn't look at Peter and say, Really? Simon, just cast out a demon. Just preached a sermon. Could I not get lunch first? He doesn't look and say, why don't you all have more faith? If you all had more faith, maybe she wouldn't be sick. He doesn't even look at her and say, well, how do you know it's not God's will for her to die? He simply enters in to their lives. He shows who he is. The Lord Jesus Christ, the compassionate one. And in the same way that he defeated evil, he defeats nature. He brings the word of God to bear. And, and Luke puts it very interestingly. Something that, that if I did this today, you would want to have me examine. He rebukes the illness. Now, Jesus, don't you know you're supposed to do some kind of healing touch? Smack her on the forehead? Pray some kind of special prayer? You rebuke a person, not an illness. An illness isn't personal. But you see, what's happening here is Jesus is showing us the power of God's Word and the nature of the universe because, you see, we think it is natural for our shoulders to hurt and our backs to ache and for us to be tired and cranky. 
It's not. It's unnatural. It's a result of sin and the fall. And Jesus is reversing that even today. It is not natural for there to be death. It is not natural for there to be pain. And Jesus is rebuking the order of the world that is unnatural and in rebellion against His Father. You need to know that. Because you may be sitting here this morning thinking there is something wrong with you. And there may be. You may have challenges. You may not be able to see without glasses. You may not be able to concentrate for long periods of time. You may not be able to control your anger. But you see, you have to understand that is not natural. That is not the way it always has to be. And you don't need to fix yourself. Jesus does it. That's His work and His power in your life. Now, that doesn't mean that all of your problems are going to go away immediately Because you see, it's a long journey with Jesus. And we will only finally be free of all of these things when He finally takes possession of us in glory. But we can have great hope because we know Jesus is on the move. He is at work in our lives. You see, the truth of it is that Jesus doesn't always heal every sick and hurting person. Why? Is it because Jesus is mean? Is it because Jesus is harsh? No. It's because our Lord Jesus Christ always has in mind the whole person. He does not just treat the obvious or the easy. Jesus is at work in your life today and He may be using cancer in your life. He may be using diabetes. He may be using arthritis. I don't know. I don't say that any of these things are good because they are not. They are a result of the fall. But I do know that Jesus is redeeming His people in His way, in His time. And He is wise and good beyond anything that I or you could be. And then this wonderful thing happens. Simon's mother-in-law is healed and she begins to catch compassion. It's interesting that she has a sickness, but what is contagious here is the compassion of Jesus. She is healed and she gets up out of the bed and she immediately starts serving others. You see, this is what Jesus does. His compassion is contagious. He works in our lives, not just for us, but for the good of all of His people. That's why He gives us afflictions, so that He can work in our lives, so that we can then be His salt and light in the world. Jesus has authority over nature and sickness. The last thing that we see here is that Jesus has authority over all. His authority is real. You'll notice that this is the very first miracle in Luke's Gospel. There are two of them. And they are bookended by what? 
Jesus teaching and preaching. Jesus bringing God's Word. That's the most important thing here. It's not that Simon's mother-in-law doesn't die. It's not that a man is not demon-possessed anymore. The most important thing that sets the stage for all of this is Jesus and the power of God's Word. And he goes at the beginning of this passage into Capernaum and he begins to teach. And you notice what they say is, they're astonished he actually has authority. And we wonder about this. Well, you have to understand that the ordinary course of teaching in a synagogue was a lesson in name that quote. They would read a scripture and they would say, you know, Rabbi Yeshua said this, but Rabbi Daniel said that, but Rabbi Joseph said the other thing. And they would just leave it. It was famously said by rabbis that they taught not one thing that they were not already told. And here comes Jesus. And He reads God's Word and He begins to apply it to the lives of His people. We saw this in action last week. Today, in your hearing, this Scripture is fulfilled. Jesus has authority. The Word of God has authority, but this is Jesus' Word. And he brings it immediately. It is astonishing. Jesus is in complete control, so much so that he will not let anyone manipulate him, even with the word. I think that's what's happening here. You'll notice that he quiets the demons when they begin to call him the Holy One of God. When they begin to call him the One who is sent by God. Why does he quiet them? I think it's because it's not about a formula. Jesus is unwilling for them to use the truth of God's Word for their own purposes and wickedness. He only wants it used for God's glory. And what he says is, I don't need you to tell people who I am. Be quiet. I will. Jesus' authority and power over the Word shows His authority over all of the universe, over the spiritual realm, over the natural realm. Jesus has great power and authority. But this power and authority has a purpose to it. It's not about some kind of generic good. It's not to bring about the American or the Israelite dream. Because do you see what Jesus says to them at the end of this passage? Imagine that you live here in Capernaum and you've seen Jesus cure people of things you've never seen people cured of before. And you see people be healed by Jesus of things that you never could have imagined. And they're still coming and they're streaming. And do you see what Jesus says? He says, I have to go. But Jesus, my wife has cancer. But Jesus, my son has an infection. But Jesus, my daughter has pneumonia and she'll die. And Jesus puts it this way starkly, not so that we can see that those things are unimportant, but so that we see what is actually supremely important. He says in verse 43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. 
You see, this is the priority of the kingdom. Here, as ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ, we bring food, shelter, and warmth to people. We bring comfort and counsel and aid. But the primary thing that Jesus brings to the world and the primary thing that the church of Jesus Christ brings to the world is the gospel. It's not that those other things are unimportant. It's that there's nothing that's important like the good news of the gospel. Jesus' authority has a purpose. It is the gospel and it is for everyone. He says, I can't just be here in Capernaum. And if he were sitting or standing here today, he would say, the gospel is not just for you here in Christ church. It's not even just for you here in these neighborhoods. It's not even just for Katie. It is for everyone. Take my gospel to your workplaces, to your schools, to on your vacations, on your trips, in mission. Because you see, Jesus has all authority. And when Jesus exercises the authority of God's Word, God's people are to listen. And then look out. You will begin to see things that you never imagined could be possible. Let's pray.